But it was interesting how the Lord would answer the prayers. I would be going out and, and had all these wonderful ideas of how to reach people. And these people who were very, very poor would come by Rahel's door. This is when the kids were really small. We had a baby at home and a, and a, and a toddler. And they would just come by the door and knock on and, and talk to Rahel. And she would invite them in and make them lunch and tell them about Jesus. And they would come to the little church that we had started. And, you know, God actually brought the people to our doors. Uh, and so here I am doing my thing. And I'm not seeing any fruit. And Rahel was seeing a lot of fruit as the people came to the door and, and would uh, eventually be a part of our little church. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure to get together with you, friend. As always, I love introducing our guest. The ways I get to meet people is just amazing sometimes. Many of you know my dear friend Ronnie Stevens, who has a feature here on Bot Radio Network called Rampart, a two-minute feature, verse-by-verse of Scripture. Ronnie and I have developed a friendship, a relationship. Great guy. It's an incredible Bible teacher. Well, he's got friends, and he's got friends in high places, and he's got friends in Budapest, where he used to pastor a church. Today, we want to welcome the Conways from Budapest. Welcome Conways to Memphis, which is home for you, Kevin. Yes, sure is. Rahela, how are you doing? Doing good. When you come back to the States, your husband's hometown, tell me some perceptions and things you pick up on when he gets back to Memphis. Memphis is his birthplace. Uh, we have been a few times here, actually. Didn't spend that much time, but every time we come, everything is very warm, hot, <laughs> <laughs> large, wild, wide. It can be wild, too. Yeah. I have to say, Kevin probably knows yeah. that, right, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, there's a few few times I think you could use that uh, adjective. <laughs> you were a graduate of what used to be Bishop Byrne High School. Right. The school, of course, was founded back in 1965, closed in 2013, what years were you there? I graduated in 1976, the bicentennial year. Were you on the wrestling team at Bishop Byrne, or was there a wrestling team at Bishop Byrne? Because I know you later went and played collegiate at UT Knoxville. Right, yeah, we had a really good uh, wrestling team. Uh, in fact, I think uh, Raleigh, Egypt, and Bishop Byrne were big rivals, and I think we were, I don't know, first and second or second and third in the state our senior year. So they had a really good team. So you went on to graduate uh, from Bishop Byrne, went to Knoxville, UT? Did, yeah. you, did you go on a wrestling scholarship? Uh, not initially, but eventually that happened, yeah. So I was on the wrestling team. I was the captain of the team there and then did some wrestling uh, after college, just uh, some international wrestling. How many wrestling bouts have you and Rahel have been into? I mean, you guys like to... Yeah. <laughs> she, she cheats. She tickles. That's, that's not allowed. <laughs> so. I let him do it with the kids. <laughs> no tickling, though, right? Yeah. That's right. I thought it was interesting. I, I did a little research and found out that wrestling is the world's oldest sport dates as far back as before 3000 BC, there are actually ancient drawings in caves depicting wrestling moves and techniques that are still used today. Yeah, it's really an amazing sport. As you said, it's the oldest sport and anybody can do it no matter what size they are. So it's not, you don't have to be a 300 pound lineman in order to participate. I think it's the most popular sport in high school as well around the United States. So it's a great sport. You know, kids get to um, learn what they're made of because it's a one-on-one sport. And we're not talking about sumo wrestling. No. <laughs> that might be closer to what I could do now, but uh, back then, no. no. I would never wear the outfit. <laughs> you know, we lived uh, on the island of Guam, and we were missionaries with Transworld Radio back in the mid-'90s, oh. and we received NHK Tokyo, which was the Japanese TV channel, and they did sumo wrestling 24-7. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> you, you were never tempted to try it, I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. But after graduating UT, I believe, Kevin, you moved to Atlanta, got involved with IBM. 
Well, I was with IBM when I was in Knoxville, Tennessee still, but I uh, had my own little company for a while at the end of that. And then I was recruited by GE Capital, and that's what precipitated the move to Atlanta. And it was in Atlanta, I understand, you got involved with a Bible church. It was really a mission-minded church. The pastor really had a desire to go global, which aren't we mandated to do by the gospel, to take the gospel into all the world? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, John Rowell was the pastor there. It was a very small church, just uh, about 100, 150 people. And yet, despite the fact that they were so small, they were sending teams every week to a a refugee camp in uh, Croatia filled with Bosnian Muslims, none of whom had ever heard the gospel before. So our church, even though we were small, we were not a mega church by any stretch of the imagination, but we were very involved in uh, sharing the gospel during uh, the war in the early and mid-90s. Diosk? Diosk Budapest? Diosd. Yeah, Diosd. Diosd. It means well, walnut or something like yeah, that it's in English. It's a walnut, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's a suburb of uh, Budapest, and that's where we live. And you raise your three children. Your youngest, I think, is she 15, I believe? Yeah, she's 15. And then you have the two older ones moving into college. Actually, one just graduated from college, and uh, one the oldest in Biola, and uh, Abby's oldest, she graduated two years ago from oh, college. Right. So we have from Beaton, that's right. Family is great, isn't it? I mean, when you've got kids and the things you learn about life. Yeah. But did you ever think, when you first laid eyes on each other, when you went to Bosnia, this lady was your translator. Yeah, well, it started off in Croatia. Eventually, I moved to Bosnia. But yeah, I fell in love with her the second I met her. By her. <laughs> I, I told my singles group that you can't fall in love on the first date. You have to develop a friendship and all that kind of thing. And then I go overseas, and I meet this gal, and I throw all that out the window. Was the feeling mutual? when you, Or was it a process? <laughs> it was a process for me. I was uh, a little bit younger than him at that time. So, so you were just doing time. your job. You were getting paid to do a job, and you were just making sure you did it the best of your ability. Yeah, Actually, I was not even paid. I was just doing my job. Okay. <laughs> so tell me about life growing up in Croatia, something about your family, background in church and just growing up in Croatia? Well, I grew up with what's called Yugoslavia. When I met Kevin, there was a time when actually Yugoslavia split, so it was just part that I grew up was Croatia. In Yugoslavia, church was uh, not so encouraged. Evangelical church was not so encouraged. It was uh, more, more social communist country. So I was really blessed that I had my mom and dad coming to Christ in their mid-20s, and they met and they just formed their family. So we were Family of eight, we, I have uh, seven siblings. So it was um, very real for us to follow Christ. It was not accepted in society so much. So we've always looked a little bit different. What was the biggest challenge? I mean, you couldn't really openly live out your faith in Jesus Christ, could you? We were not allowed to really speak out in public. Uh, you could speak to people, but people didn't respect it so much. They were they were treating us as a sect, so they didn't really look at us as something that they desire. We couldn't do any evangelism openly on the streets or in rent places. We could just have a little church that we go to, and not many people want to go to that little place. Right. They always feel like it's different. What kind of work did your dad do? Growing up, my father was in a construction business. Yeah. Okay. At that time, was all the companies in business regulated by the communist state, how things functioned pretty and worked much. in society? Yeah, pretty much. Everything was regulated by that. So my father, he really had a strong faith, and he will share his faith with his coworkers. So he never could really get higher position because of that. Pretty much look down and never could succeed with, uh, if you follow Christ. 
Kevin, for you, you mentioned growing up here in Memphis, attending Bishop Byrne. Do you come from a Catholic background? Yes, strong uh, Catholic family. I'm one of five kids. We had five kids in five years. Um, it was very typical in the schools we went to, uh, Roman Catholic schools, to have 10 kids in the family. So I could relate with uh, Rahela and her family of uh, eight kids. So you meet in Croatia, or you were in Bosnia. No, we were in Croatia. You were in when Croatia. We, when it you was met. at a refugee camp in Croatia full of Bosnian Muslims. Uh, that's right. Okay. Not only did you fall in love, but you also felt a call to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like you read in Matthew 9 where uh, the fields are ripe for harvest. I remember just standing on the edge of the camp and seeing all these people who had never heard of Christ and, uh, and knew that they could have salvation only through him. It was a real important moment for me. It is a big moment, though, to think about changing your entire career that you'd work for. I mean, you're working for IBM, I'm sure a successful business position there in Atlanta. It had to be something really deep for you to feel that call that, that God was really specifically speaking to you, I want to change your life. Yeah, it was a, a huge thing. I was, I got home and I fasted for a week and uh, I was really just an emotional mess. You know, Lord, what are you doing? And I saw a movie back then called Schindler's List, and you might recall at the end of it, there's a scene where he's walking towards the car, and he's holding a gold pin, and he said, if I sold this pin, I could have gotten two lives, at least one. And so it became a rallying call for me and some friends of mine that, uh, what is your pin? What are you willing to give up? For me, it was being willing to give up the career so that I could follow the Lord more closely and, and winning the lost uh, in this part of the world. That first trip, initial trip, how long were you there? It was about 10 days. You were pretty broke after you left and you came back for the separation from this beautiful lady that you met. How tough was that? <laughs> oh, it was. And did she have any idea that you, that you left having feelings for her? Well, uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, we, we had some conversations, but she didn't really quite get where I was coming from when I was trying to... Who's this crazy American, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She did not want to marry a, an American businessman. She wanted to be in ministry, and that's yeah, what I didn't thing. want to but, move to state. Yeah. But, but God was changing things in my heart, so right. it was uh, that helped uh, help things go along. Tell me about how your relationship yeah. started sparking and moving forward. Did you go to uh, graduate school? Had you gotten married by that time, or...? Well, before we were married, uh, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't a lot of technology in order to communicate, so I bought a couple of little tape recorders and sent her some blank cassette tapes, and we would just talk to each other whenever we were doing going about business during the day. So by the time we finished filling up that cassette tape, I would give it to one of the people who was getting ready to make this short-term 10-day trip to uh, Croatia in the refugee camp, and they would give it to Rahela. And then they would also get the one from her that was, that was coming to me. So that's how we communicated because, you know, phone calls were like six bucks a minute. And when you, when you talk to someone for three hours, <laughs> it can get pretty expensive. So, yeah, that was, that was how we um, – got to know each other better. We were eventually married two years later after we first met. We were married in, in Atlanta, kind of a last-second deal. In fact, I called my mom the night before and said, I think I might be getting married tomorrow. So she drove down from Tennessee to Atlanta for the wedding. Yeah, and then we got married again. Uh, I can believe this. I had to put her on a plane the very next day after our wedding. She had to fly back to uh, Croatia. And then the day after that, the war had been on a hiatus, but it, it started up again. So I've just gotten married. I barely kissed my wife. I put her on a plane, and now the war started again. I thought, I'm going to become a, a widower. Oh, <laughs> you know, and it, it, was, it was a really, really stressful time. So did you have to ask permission from her mom and dad or get their blessing? I did so. That wasn't really the custom there, Rahela told me, but uh, I did it anyway. I just yeah. felt like I wanted them to be fully behind it. 
uh, her mom was going to be a hard sell because she thought I was going to take her daughter away from her in Croatia. But uh, we wound up staying. So she she's, she's I, was on, I was on her good side. Plus, you gave her three grandchildren. She's got to be a happy lady, right? She's passed away, but she was a, a wonderful woman of God, yes. and and well, she uh, she loved her grandchildren. So yeah, that, that was a that was a strong high point for us relationship. So you later came to the States to do your graduate work. Yeah, well, there was a professor at Wheaton called Walter Elwell, and he came over to Bosnia, where we were living in Bosnia at that time. We had moved from Croatia to Bosnia. We were doing church planning among Bosnian Muslims. And so we were doing that, and he made a scholarship available to Wheaton College. Uh, he said, Kevin, I've heard you're preaching. I think you really need to go to grad school. <laughs> and so uh, he arranged for all that, and it just changed my life being around all these really strong professors who believed all the things that the scriptures claimed to be true. It was a a life-transforming thing for me, and I remember uh, so many people were burned out after graduate school, and all I could remember was, and I took twice as many hours as everybody else, I just couldn't get enough. Yeah, It actually led to me doing doctoral studies later on and so forth in in, in England. uh, You went to Cambridge. Yeah, I went to Cambridge. You know, I still put that behind my Tennessee degree, but, uh, you know, it's a good school over, some people have heard of it over in England. I, I just couldn't get enough of God's Word, and uh, I still can't. God's Word is alive. It's living. Not like a textbook. It's life-transforming because it's inspired. I mean, it's incredible how it changes our life and how it fuels us as believers. How does the Word impact you personally and in your family's life? As you said, it's living, you know, and I think that's what really gave us life, living in that kind of part of the world. If you have not experienced Jesus in fullness through his word, it will be like in vain. But that's what really gave us um, everything, hope and joy and, and purpose. So yes. there was food that we were taking daily and to sustain us and, and never looked for something that you need more there was enough. Yes. Jesus was really enough. Yes. And we went through a very really hard time, especially when my country fell apart, when Yugoslavia split and all the war and ethnic um, dislikes and confusions and all of it. That was really what guided us, God's Word, and there was light on our path, yeah. As you move into an area that is really trying to maybe find its identity, its purpose, the hope and joy— that Rahila was just talking about is a cry of all human hearts looking for that mm. and will never be satisfied into it rest in Jesus. But you're living among a people who are Muslim, reaching them, planting churches. I mean, how do you start that? How does that even begin? Well, it's like everything. The foundation has to be prayer. We have to obviously uh, continue to rely on God in this regard and ask him to move heaven and earth to see some of these people come to know him. It doesn't come about from eloquent words and, and that sort of thing on our parts, but it comes about from the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy place to share the gospel when you're, when you're going among Muslim people groups. That's what we were doing when we were living in Bosnia. But it was interesting how the Lord would answer the prayers. I would be going out and, and had all these wonderful ideas of how to reach people. And these people who were very, very poor would come by Rahela's door. This is when the kids were really small. We had a baby at home and a, and a, and a toddler. And they would just come by the door and knock on and, and talk to Rahel, and she would invite them in and make them lunch and tell them about Jesus. And they would come to the little church that we had started. And, you know, God actually brought the people to our doors. Uh, and so here I am doing my thing, and I'm not seeing any fruit. And Rahel was seeing a lot of fruit as the people came to the door and, and would uh, eventually be a part of our little church. 
Did you learn, Rahela, that people are more receptive to hear the message, especially if they're in the poverty they're living in, mm-hmm. and you're able to meet a need? And Jesus often did that, met the physical needs of people to seed the ground in planting the Word of God, to see it eventually become fruitful in in the lives of the people he was ministering to. Yeah, I can testify that we have seen the that side of it. We, see, we have seen other side of it as well, when people are hunger for truth, not necessarily physical need, but they wanted peace in their heart. But there was a season of our life, and we were exposed to the war in Bosnia, and people are really need physical need. And when they will come by, they will know, they will see there's something different about us. We we had something to offer them physically, but there was something deep that they have kept coming and it was God's word that was living in us yes. yeah, and through us. Yeah, That is so beautiful. I don't want to sound too fragmented in the conversation we're having because we're, we're jumping from Memphis to Croatia to Bosnia, talking about really the foundation of what God has brought you to to do ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, in the process of doing ministry and helping plant churches for Bosnian refugees, you've also had done some ministry work through Campus Crusade for Christ, which is known as Crew in Eastern Europe and Russia. Is any of this connected? Because you've had a teaching position too, if I'm not mistaken, at the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Budapest. Is that your primary ministry now? Well, the seminary is actually located in Osia, Croatia, which was near Rahela's hometown, and that's where she went to school. Okay, straighten me out, because I want to make sure, because <laughs> it's very confusing. I have very just fragmented understanding. And so the seminary was located in Croatia, where you attended school. Yeah. By the way, the seminary has a, an, an incredible story, started back in the early 1970s in the room of a church. I love the roots and the history. Was that your church where the seminary started? Actually, it started in Zagreb, its capital city, and then relocated back to Osijek. And they built it up more as a like school that students can come and be there for a year, not just for weekends. But it started in Zagreb, yeah. And this is when communism was still full-blown all throughout Eastern Europe and Russia. And so all these... Kids, for the most part, from all these different places came to Osia, Croatia, to attend uh, the seminary. You look at a lot of the, the pastors throughout Russia and Eastern Europe, a lot of them got their training there in that little town in, uh, in Croatia where Rahela went. To the point that the government actually gave them kudos, to a sense, because they realized the value the seminary was having on the culture and society. That's a pretty big testimony for Christ. Yeah, it is. It was just the way how God really blessed us that we could have it. It was not easy access to any other places in, in Western Europe because you had to know language. And it was just uh, for ex-Yugoslavian, all these men and women who were involved in ministry, they could come in and be trained and sent out. And then later on, became more international. So we had students from other parts of Eastern Europe, mostly right. Eastern Europe. It was very inexpensive for them to come. Kevin, have you taught at the seminary? Sure, yeah, I've, I've taught there, and I continue to teach there. It's uh, in Budapest. It's only about a two, two and a half hour drive, so it's very convenient to get there if we can get across the border with the COVID thing. So that that kind of is. Uh, sometimes there's uh, warnings, and sometimes it's uh, they ease up a bit, but we never quite know what's going to happen with the current crisis. But even if I'm not able to be there physically, as everybody knows, you can do things via Zoom with the students, and uh, so we've done some classes that way as well. Graduates from the seminary where you've taught and teach have pioneered a variety of ministries. Do you have any stories, maybe a 
particular students that either of you have mentored or discipled through the school who are involved with fruitful ministries now? There's probably many of them, but anybody that stands out to you how God through their maybe their story coming to the seminary, getting training, and you're just seeing how God is using them now, maybe in other parts of Europe? Uh, there's so many. All of them are most of their friends. We have Costa and Nada. They're in Macedonia, and uh, they have ministry there with publishing Christian books. Um, and uh, he is involved with the uh, apologetic ministry and teach around. And then they work with the church. We have so many of them are pastoring churches through all this ex Yugoslavia yes. and even in Russia and uh, Ukraine and Bulgaria, Romania. Oh. Uh, we have um, Marcel, uh, who is uh, heading a doctoral prog- program in, in Romania. The, our dear friend just passed recently. He was very influential in uh, Romania church and, and school, Cornelia Constantino. He just passed recently from COVID. It was really sad oh. for us. Yeah, and we have um, my brain is racing. We have in Slovenia all these pastors, Srečko, who is in Maribor, and we have Drago, who is in Kranj. Um, we have in Zagreb through all different part of Zagreb. Uh, there are pastoring churches, mostly pastors and leaders. Well, I like Miroslav Wolf was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the variety, if you will, and not just planting churches, but as you yeah. mentioned, the publishing Christian books. Yeah. But there's also radio and TV ministries that have been developed through the, the ministry of the seminary. Yeah, the, we Teen have. Challenge. Yeah, Teen Challenge Ministry started in in Serbia, and now they're doing something in in Croatia, in Macedonia. Vanya Bule, she started actually. What is the name of the? I forget. Biblical PC very. <laughs> Broadcasting Christian Network. Uh, they're opening uh, uh, office in in Croatia, and she's for Balkan, and she was one of the. They're having a Christian show that go around and for children. Now, is any of that regulated by the government, or you have the free opportunity for public broadcasting to share Jesus on the public airways? Yeah, it's open now, so they it's like private, so they can do it. Uh, it's more democratic now in the, in my part of world, so they can do it. Yeah, there's so many cannot think of through of it, but. Uh, yeah, I guess one of um, oh Roma, uh, like we uh, sorry, yeah. dropping. Uh-huh. We have a friend that works with the Roma um, Gypsy ministry. Gypsy's ministry, and her and her husband are establishing um, a way for people to learn and do jobs. Like her husband is uh, doing with woods work, woodwork, woodwork, yeah. and he want to open up uh, like a little school or training those Roma men to be able to use their hands and woods to create jobs for them. That is a big ministry, right? It's a Among huge the Roma ministry. people. I yeah. think it doesn't get talked about much, no. but a great population of people that get overlooked for yeah. the gospel. Yeah. That is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we're very, very proud of them. They, they're doing a great job. A lot of them are bivocational pastors. So they're working a full time job and they're having churches meet within their homes uh, on Sunday. So they're our heroes. They're really. Uh, uh, it's not an easy job they have, but they, they're called to do it, and they're being very faithful. Inosik is not only place he teach. You, you travel through different part of the Eastern yeah. Europe and Russia, and he it, teach in the other parts of. And I want to pick that up if we can on a part two. Can we do that? Can you guys hang around and let us continue the conversation because we've got so much that's happening here <laughs> sure. today, and I've got more I want to talk about. But the time on this show is ending. What I'd like to do before we say goodbye. How can our friends know more about your ministry, how to pray for you, how to possibly financially support you if those opportunities exist? Sure. Yeah, we work with an organization called CEO, and that stands for Christian Educators Outreach. 
Can you give us the web address so folks want to know more information about this ministry? CEO, Christian Educators Outreach again. You can reach us via the uh, the, the website, which is www.ceokids.org. And if you want to go directly to the, uh, the giving section, you just put on the end of that address I just gave you, slash give slash. Very well. If we can, pick up our conversation and continue because I think there's more we can discover. I think it's exciting to be able to know what God is up to in this part of the world because we don't hear a lot of it, but God is up to great things, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, we want to let his glory be spread throughout all the earth and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sharing your hearts and story with us. We'll pick it up next time. Thank you, Byron. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. John 17, and in verse 21, he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus says this is what's going to prove it to them. He goes, it's when these followers actually love each other, not just put up with each other. This is Jesus speaking. Father, you know how you and I are just one? We are just connected. We are one. He goes, I want the church to be that way. And Jesus said, look, when that happens, he goes, I'm praying for that so that the world would believe that you sent me. You know, when you think, okay, what's going to reach the lost? We have so many methods. But Jesus didn't say bring this guy in, bring a famous person to give their testimony. Jesus said when you guys are united, when you're one, something happens and they suddenly believe. It's this unity. I guess what I'm trying to say is I I, I want us to really think through what we're trying to do, which is raise the dead. And it's not going to happen through our cleverness. It's going to happen by men and women being so attached to the vine that the fruit's just going to happen. And it's going to happen when men and women called the church, they are so united that a miracle happens. When there's that type of unity, watch the glory that comes down and watch how the world's going to start believing in their destruction and your salvation. Watch how the dead are going to come to life. They're going to believe in Jesus when you are unified. That's how we reach out to the world. Hey, I'm Byron Tyler. You know, one way to listen to the Mid-South Viewpoint radio show that you just heard, as well as previous episodes, is to download the Bot Radio mobile app available for iPhone and Android users. Additionally, you'll be able to listen to all the programs that you hear on this station anytime, anywhere. Why not download today and enjoy listening to your favorite program here on Bot Radio Network.